Hi, and welcome to the Lone Star Play podcast, where we sit, eat, chat, and repeat. I'm your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong, and we are coming to you from Austin, Texas. The Lone Star Play podcast is produced by Texas Real Food. Go to texasrealfood.com and you can search your city for local restaurants, stores, butchers, farmers markets, and more who are using organic, fresh, artisanal, and local sources. It's a fun site that brings all natural options all together. Attitude of like, well, what's the problem? I don't get it. What's the problem? And I, I just think, open your eyes, really look at the society you live in and really uh, uh, consider your own privilege. And uh, it's... Um, um, it's a difficult conversation, but I'm really glad that we're having it. I'm glad that it's a conversation that's out there on the table and that people, people can choose uh, to uh, ignore it, uh, uh, but they're, but they're going to have to um, uh, really work hard to do that because it's a conversation that's on the table. We have to have it. We have to talk about it. And so again, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that Sweet Magnolias was a show that, that kind of uh, represents the very best of our of ourselves in that respect. Ryan, thank you for joining me for another great episode. My guest today is Norman Buckley. You can check out his website, normanbuckley.com. He has a new show on Netflix. It's called Sweet Magnolias. It's based off of a novel, and it's a fantastic show. Ten episodes, first season's out. They're waiting to get renewed. Uh, they were definitely in the top 10 uh, when it came out in May, uh, mid-May. They were in the top 10 of Netflix, you know, whatever that, that thing is they got now on Netflix where you could see whatever. So it's a really popular show. It's, it's an amazing show. Um, and yeah, Norman directed six of the 10 episodes, and he's also a co-executive producer on the show. So we got him on. We talked about the show. We talked about some of his previous work and how he got into the business. Um, that led him to do that. Um, and you know, he's from Texas. So we talked about a little bit about Texas and how he misses it. And, uh, it's a really great conversation. Norman's an amazing guy. Um, so yeah, you know, he worked on shows like, look, he edited the pilot for Chuck. Remember that show? The pilot's the best thing ever. Won an award for that too, by the way. Um, he also worked on Gossip Girl, you know, the OC, uh, which is where he got to start directing, but he'll tell you more about that. But you know, a lot of different shows, Pretty Little Liars. I could go on. Sit back, relax, enjoy the episode. My guest, Norman Buckley. Yeah, I grew up on the west side of Fort Worth, and my mother is still there. She's ninety-four, so I still get back there about. Uh, I try to get back there about four times a year. I've been deliberating about whether to drive from here to uh, Fort Worth uh, to visit her in the midst yeah. of this. Where are you at gimmick. exactly? Right I'm now. in Los Angeles. I live in West Hollywood. Yeah, and, yeah um, that's a drive. It is. It's 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 a couple of nights on the road. So yeah, you know, there's part of me just wants to do it just to break up the monotony of my <laughs> life at this moment. But then. Uh, I also don't want to pick up something along the way and infect her because uh, she's yep. uh, very elderly. Uh, I have siblings back there. My two brothers live in Fort Worth and my, my sister is uh, an actress. She travels a lot, but she has a ranch in Weatherford. So, uh, oh, in Weatherford. Oh, it's yeah. beautiful out there. So, so my whole family is back there. Yeah. So you still absolutely. So pretty much everyone left Texas except for you and your sister. 
Yeah, well, um, well, everybody stayed in Texas. Yeah, I've stayed in Texas. Year. Excuse yeah, me. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, my sister, uh, my sister lived in New York for many years, and then she, uh, several years ago, decided she wanted to get a ranch back there. My brothers have both lived away, but then moved back. Yeah. Uh, there is something about Texas that that certainly, when you grow up there, it, you have a you have a, a real allegiance to it. It's kind of its own country. It, so uh, <laughs> I yep, know you're that, from um, Texas. You know that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know I think about it from time to time. I I just don't uh, I don't know uh, if I want to move back there or if I just. But I always I'll always visit it. I still have a lot of close friends from my school days, and and uh, you know as long as uh, as long as my mother is alive, I'll certainly go back there on a regular basis. What high school did you go to there? Western Hills. I lived yeah. on the west side of town, the very western edge of town. So it was, uh, it was uh, two blocks away from open country, open fields. From the balcony <laughs> of our house, you could just see this, uh, this unobstructed horizon. Uh, I had a pretty idyllic childhood in that sense because the, um, the uh, uh, countryside around there was quite beautiful. Uh, and pretty untarnished with strip malls and and, and uh, <laughs> motels at that point, but uh, now yeah. the, that now that area has grown, you know, four miles within the city limits, or maybe even more than that. Yeah, between Dallas and Fort Worth, and and everything in between, right? We just it has just grown immensely, just because. Yeah, well, it's, I, I think of Dallas Fort Worth as one big city. I don't think Me of it too. as. Yeah, it's it's a it's. It's it's one big metropolitan area. I try to explain that to people. But uh, Fort, Fort Worth is a lovely town. I, I, I think it's um, it's a wonderful place to uh, uh, visit, and it's easy to get around. And the museums there are fantastic. And yeah. I always enjoy going back. I, I usually, at some point during the year, I usually spend a week or two back there. Do you have any favorite restaurants in uh, Fort Worth you like to oh, go yeah. to? Oh, yeah. Yeah. My family, um, uh, we go to uh, Joe Garcia's. Yeah. Uh, uh, th that's been a part of my life since I was you know, a young, young kid. And uh, we t tend to go back there uh, every single time I, I, I go to visit. We always spend our Christmas Eves at a restaurant called La Piazza, which just recently closed. I was disappointed to hear it because oh, man. we had a, um, um, I think they just got tired of running a restaurant. It's a family run restaurant and they, uh, they decided it. that they just were ready to hang it up. But uh, that was our uh, Christmas Eve uh, tradition for, for many years uh, over the last uh, 10 or 15 years. And, um, uh, you know, various other places, I'm trying to think, you know, this is a food show, so I should have probably uh, given it <laughs> no, some please. thought before. Uh, we, we talk about everything, uh, but it's yeah. sometimes, somehow food always is a part of a conversation for some reason, you know, because I don't right. know, just it's so important to all of us. Right. Um, well, we, we know, tend to yeah. always go back to the same places uh, for many years. We would have our Christmas Eve uh, lunch at the uh, restaurant at Neiman Marcus. That was just something that That's my family always did. And then we do yeah. our, we do our uh, remaining Christmas shopping after we had lunch. Uh, my, my family is uh, very tradition bound. We do fall yeah. into certain traditions. But what I miss most about Texas is uh, good Mexican food and good chicken fried steak. 
I don't cool. think that um, yeah. you can't find that out here in, in um, what about the, barbecue? The Mexican, the Mexican, well, barbecue too, but uh, Mexican food uh, out here in California is quite different than it is in Texas. And yeah. uh, uh, so is the chicken fried steak, if you can even find it. Out yeah. Here. <laughs> so, but, you know, I, I run into a lot of people funny. who don't even know what that is. You know? That's so, really, you're kidding yeah. me. Oh man, yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't even know what to yeah. do with somebody if they yeah. didn't. I get, but I guess that makes sense. It's not everywhere so yeah. I guess that does make sense um yeah, yeah when i lived in europe i couldn't eat mexican food for many years and that was horrific for me to not have a taco plus i'm i'm mexican my mom's from mexico city so oh I is that grew, right uh -huh. yeah I, I grew up literally cutting the pineapple off the pastor spit you know yeah, just right yeah. out of the womb making tacos um yeah. yeah so that was difficult uh for sure so i know how you feel just sort of being on an island uh, right. away from it uh yeah for sure Well, when i lived in new york there was not any good mexican food restaurants this was back in the early 80s yeah uh, and then one opened up in this um uh, small um storefront on the upper west side and that was a big thing when the, there was a, there was finally <laughs> one mexican food restaurant that was decent <laughs> that's but how you do hard. it right well, it's hard when you grow up around that and it's a staple part of your diet. Uh, sure. The other restaurant I really like in Fort Worth is the original uh, Mexican food on, on Campoy Boulevard. That, that one has been there since the um, uh, either the 1920s or the 1930s. And um, oh, wow. uh, Franklin Roosevelt ate there. So th there's, there's a couple of good Mexican food restaurants in, in Fort Worth that, that yeah. uh, we frequent. Yeah, uh, Joe Garcia's is over on the north side. So if we don't yeah. feel like driving all the way over there, then we, we usually go to the original. Absolutely. But, yeah. Joe T's. That's like absolute. That's a staple there for sure. Uh, yeah. you know, Fort Worth has a lot of places like that that are just sort mm. of, you know, um, been there for just a long time. Tradition. It's just a part of mm. it's part of Texas, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's In, a very uh, it's a very tradition bound uh uh, society without a doubt so even if you're a liberal you're still kind of conservative <laughs> it's weird i know i know yeah that's me people right there their, <laughs> you know, people have their uh their um uh i mean it's conventional it's kind of, it's yeah. convention there's a convention to the way that people live their lives in texas and um you know i i feel texan at uh, heart even though i haven't i haven't lived in texas since the 70s but um, um, I, I still feel very much like it's part of who I am. It's part of the way I grew up. It informs my imagination. And, you know, I think a lot about my childhood and about the, the um, just the um, Texas imagery, sure. so to speak, you know. Sure. Yeah, especially where you grew up there in Fort Worth, you know, not anywhere near developed as it is now. And, yeah. Absolutely. Well, are well, you a you... fan of uh, Are you a fan of uh, Terrence Malick? Do you like yes. his films? Absolutely. Uh, the, the, uh, the film Tree of Life really captured the experience of my childhood. That was very much what uh, my childhood was like. Uh, I had a group of friends, and we would run and play in the fields, like they did in that movie. And uh, wow. the, the the town reminded me very much of uh, my neighborhood, and my grandmother's neighborhood. Uh, um, it, 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 I always tell people, if you want to know what my childhood was like, that was it. <laughs> Watch that movie. Yeah. yeah. He films a lot in Austin, too. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that yeah. film was shot somewhere between Austin and, 
and uh, Waco in some little okay. town in that in that area, from what I understand. Yeah, but uh, that really captured the the look and feel and and uh, textures of the of the experience I had growing up in Texas, and feels yeah. very evocative. Yeah, I agree. Um, first of all, that's just a fantastic movie. But yes, um, yeah, what a great and and what a great way it was captured, right? Just the way it was filmed. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just a amazing. Yeah, it's such an amazing uh, film. Honestly, I hadn't thought about that film in a while. Um, yeah. So speaking of film and, and TV and everything, I've been watching your your new show that you have out um, on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, great. Yeah, yes. I'm happy yes. you're watching it. Yeah, man. Yeah. You know what? And I, I got to tell you, I connected immediately with the show because there's a restaurant and chefs. I'm a chef yes. myself. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. I immediately just connected right there um, right. to the storylines and the things that, you know, the owner's going through um, her character when she has to fire the chef there in the pilot. Right, like, man, right. that, that's, I can't tell you how many times I've like lived that moment yeah. uh, myself, seeing people, you know, deal with def difficult chefs and seeing that happen to other people. Uh -huh. Did a, it was a very good job of me. I, I always complain about that as a chef and movies and they, it doesn't seem realistic, but you do, it's a really good job of making that kitchen seem like that's a real kitchen. And oh, the that's way, great. Even, that's great even the conversations, uh, it's exactly how that would go down. That's exactly mm -hmm. how the owner would come and tell that chef and that chef would be angry as well. Then he comes back mm -hmm. trying to sue her. They have that fight in the dining room. I just <laughs> loved it. I just thought I've seen that happen. Like that oh, is oh, like, so yeah. yes, yes. Uh, absolutely. Uh, it, and getting upset that he built, helped build the restaurant as well. That, 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 that line especially really, really stuck with me because that is something uh, that happens in restaurants a lot. I've worked in a lot of right. restaurants with a lot of chefs, and that is the biggest fight that people have is that. Who gets the credit for all the hard work? Well, I'm so happy to hear that because uh, it, it certainly was um, uh, our desire to create a show that was very grounded in reality. We didn't want it to feel um, uh, like it wasn't true to the experience of of uh, what these ladies' lives were like or what these kids' lives were like. and and the restaurant was a, a real part of it. We we basically built that uh, set from the ground up. But we oh wow we really? we used actual yeah it's not a location it's an act it's a set. Oh, and, uh, wow. But we got we got uh, equipment and had to make sure that it looked aged. And um, uh, we had a food stylist that was there who who worked with us in terms of of what people could be doing in the kitchen that would feel authentic. And at ah, the same time, I wondered about that. The, Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a hard thing because you have to uh, make sure that it doesn't get in the way of filming the sound. Sure. You can't have sure. things actually boiling or or <laughs> yeah. um, uh, or the the chop the in with level. the knife yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but trying to find things for people to do in that kitchen, we we spend a lot of time trying to make that as authentic as possible. So that's great to hear that it seemed authentic. Oh, I can't believe it's a set built. Honestly, I thought it was yeah. a real place y'all took over for a little bit. Yeah. It looks it looks it's, perfectly real. It, the exterior is a actual location. Yeah. It's a, it's yeah. a restaurant in Covington, Georgia, uh, and but the air, all the in, interior scenes were were shot on a set. Yeah, I really enjoyed. Uh, um, I really enjoyed all that. Well, that's great. That's great. Yeah. I I've talked to a lot of people who've uh, told me they like the show, but nobody is uh, kind of zeroed in on the yeah. on the restaurant <laughs> scenes. So that's wonderful to hear. Yeah. I connect with that immediately, right? That's just uh, something I, I, you know, whatever your profession is, that's where you're going to connect. If I see a podcasting uh, thing too, I connect that too. But there's not many, uh, you know, storylines about podcasting yet. 
but the kitchen one, uh, especially, especially the conversation that um, the sous chef who then becomes chef mm-hmm. uh, gets the position. That's another thing that's very realistic that happening. Mm-hmm. And first of all, the owner looking outside and then realizing right under their nose was the chef the right. whole time that that is that happens for real in restaurants all the time. Um, right. So that was great. Very realistic to me. And also the conversation that that sous chef had with the young kid who was in the kitchen sort of helping him and, you know, wanting to mm-hmm. learn about it. Like, where'd you go to culinary school? All of that was like a real conversation I've had. Oh, that's so wonderful. It was, great. It was really great. I mean, I can't tell oh. you how how amazing that was to hear him say, go get experience. Don't worry about the school. Travel. That is true advice that chefs give you know, other line cooks in the kitchen. I've given it myself. Mm-hmm. I, I never went to culinary school. My, my thing was to travel to Europe, travel to Mexico, travel around and learn the trade and, and, and do it that way. Um, so yeah, that was, I just can't tell you how amazing that was. And thank well, you from, a, the, that's a real, from the industry. That's a real tribute to our writers too. The, the show um, um, is um, our showrunner is a woman named Cheryl Anderson. And then yeah. the, the writer of that particular episode is uh, the co-executive producer, Shelly Mills. And, I think that the um, the verisimilitude that they they were really seeking uh, comes through then, and I'm I'm, I'm glad about that. Uh, I think that uh, my job uh, always depends on the quality of the writing, and I feel that the writers on this show really captured a world and captured the specifics of the world in such a way that it it uh, uh, does. Um, really evoke something for a lot of people. Clearly the show has been enormously successful. Uh, yes. <laughs> quite a, quite a, uh, a, a little bit, I wouldn't just say quite a surprise, but a little bit of a surprise. We, we certainly thought the show would find its audience and would grow. We had no idea it would come out of the gate and pop up to the top of Netflix almost immediately, which is what, what it did. It, it was in the top 10 for the first three weeks of its uh, wow. run, which was thrilling. But I think the people, um, I think the people, particularly in this period of time, are are looking for something that that reminds them of the of the value of community and the value of um, of um, being with people. Certainly, it's why we like to go to restaurants. That feeling of being in a social environment. I I, I worked in restaurants years and years ago. When I was a young man, I was a waiter. And, uh, oh right on! I, I always <laughs> yeah. felt that it was uh, it was like going to a party every night. There was a sense <laughs> of uh, it was it was a very popular restaurant called Ernie's on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Uh, I just worked there for I think just uh, four or five months, but uh, I had a wonderful time. It was huge. It was it was it was the place to go at that particular moment in in on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and we worked in pairs, um, uh, front waiter, back waiter, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, and so. Uh, I had a, a group of friends almost immediately because that would mix and match every night. And so I would uh, work uh, at the uh, restaurant. Uh, I'd sleep till noon. I'd get up. I'd go over to the restaurant and eat before the shift. And then I'd work yeah. from five until two in the morning sometimes, you know. And and um, uh, that was a, a really wonderful period of time. And it kind of immersed me in that culture. Uh, I've never returned to that, but I but I always uh, was happy that I had that experience and know what that's like and thought about that as we were shooting the show, just thought about the, just the camaraderie that goes on in the kitchen. Yeah. Uh, I, used, that's true. I used to, I used to grab things off of people's plates though and eat because I was just so hungry all the time. Cause I was just burning Everybody's so many done calories. It. Yeah. We've all done so, it. 
Yeah, I remember one night I just picked I picked a piece of cake up off the. Uh, there was a we had a like um, some type of um, um, chocolate cake that was in really thin slices, and I just picked a whole piece of it up and popped it in my mouth and <laughs> turned around and was looking right into the face of my manager, and I I thought oh 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 gosh what's going to happen now, and she was just like you you better swallow that before you go out to the table you know so I. Uh, it was, it was a great period of time. I'm still in touch with a lot of the people I was waiters with. And, really? Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. In fact, um, there's another uh, TV director uh, in town, and he and I were uh, working together on a project, and we were chatting. Uh, and um, I don't. I said something. I can't remember what I said, but all of a sudden, he was like, Norman, we, we worked together. We were waiters together at Ernie's back in 1983. And I was like, is that, is that possible? And he said, yeah. And suddenly I remembered him, but you know, this was 30 years later. So I wasn't sure. looking at him thinking in terms of, um, of what our prior connection had been. I just didn't even recognize him because we were both yeah. middle-aged men by this point. Uh, but it was, uh, it was pretty funny, uh, but I'm still in touch with a lot of those guys that I, wow. Wow. Uh, guys and, and ladies that I, that I waited tables with because on any given shift, there were 30 of us because it was such a big restaurant. Was it multiple so, levels? Uh, yeah, it was, it was about 10,000 square feet. And so there were, there were uh, uh, 15, 15 sets of us, you know, so, yeah. so 15 Jeez. sets of waiters. That's a lot. So yeah, that's so big. there were 30, 30 waiters on at any given time. So yeah, that's a, that's a my, huge staff. Yeah. My uh, waiting tables days. <laughs> the camaraderie is real. Yep. Yeah, it is. You know, it, is. It, re it really is real. You do make those connections for a long time. You just go through a lot with people. It's not your normal everyday job. No, you know? it's not. So <laughs> I've waited tables for a long time, too, uh, before I stepped in the kitchen. Um, even waited tables in Europe. I did the same thing. I, I did both. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's it's different, too. Uh I honestly enjoyed, I enjoyed waiting tables more in Europe, but I enjoyed the money more in the States. Right. That's that simple, you know, but yeah, that's good. Uh, so uh, I'm curious about, you know, the show and, and now what, is there something are you guys th already thinking about a second season? Is that well, I'm very, I'm very hopeful that we'll hear about a second season shortly. I mean, the, the, uh, um, the mechanics of uh, how Netflix decides these things, I do not know. I don't have any kind of... <laughs> nobody does. Clear... I've researched that, actually. Yeah, it's like, nobody um, does. I don't have a clear idea of uh, exactly what their benchmarks are. I, I feel, since the show did so well, uh, right out of the gate, I feel hopeful that we'll get a second season. Uh, I certainly think we're, we're um, uh, ready with... Um, uh, stories to tell if that happens yeah. and, and and it's my hope that we get their uh, um, um, answer on that fairly quickly uh, when we get to go back to work I don't know you know That's because of the point. way things are right now yeah um, it's um, it's hard to know how we can shoot a show safely as long as this virus is still a, um, a major issue and uh, it is still a major issue even though I feel like people are acting like it's gone away, it hasn't. And uh, I'm, tell me about I'm no, it. I'm in Texas. It's like, yeah, it's my not, wife and very, I do not leave the house. I mean, we're very, yeah. uh, we're still, you know, we're we're not feeling safe about it at all. 
It's very concerning to me. I really don't uh, understand. It's almost like people just got bored of it and decided, well, just going to carry on as normal. Of course, I'm worried about, uh, you know, as I said, my mother's 94. I don't want her yeah. to be exposed. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm worried about um, uh, myself. I mean, I'm, I'm sure. at an age where I need to be careful too. But um, um, yeah, I, I, I hope we get to go back to work and I hope that we're able to do it in a, in a way that uh, is um, safe um, and that we can continue to tell the stories because uh, the, the, the show does seem to have struck a chord with people. And uh, I'm, I'm very grateful that um, it's the kind of show that really represents a lot of ideas that are important to me. As I said, the yeah. idea of community and the and the idea of uh, values and, and, and supporting one another, resilience. And, and so I do think it's a show that, that has real meaning right now. So, you know, your guess is as good as mine, but I hope we yeah. get the, the, <laughs> the pickup order sometime soon. Sure, absolutely. Um, I'm curious, like, I read, a, I read an article about the show Ozark that's also on Netflix, and Jason mm -hmm. Bateman had said that it took him about, it takes them about a year from pre-production to you know it being released on Netflix to, to get that season out, uh, mm -hmm. how, how long or more or less does it did it take y'all for for y'all season? Well, or? I, I I would say almost that, not quite. Um, I began working on the show last. Uh, um, well, I think I was hired in March of 2019. Okay. I didn't really start doing a lot of work on it until the last part of April. We started going to. Uh, uh, Atlanta to do some location scouting. Uh, we went into hard prep, meaning I was there every day in, in, uh, at the beginning of June. And then we started shooting around July 8th last year. And then we shot until the end of October. And then I continued working on the post for um, November, December, January, February, and into March. We actually finished the last episode just as everyone was going into quarantine. We, oh, wow. we had to listen to the last playback remotely because uh, everybody was going into lockdown. So it was not quite a year, more like sure. 11 months of, uh, of work. Now the writers worked uh, a full year before that. So uh, some people worked on it for a couple of years, but uh, it's been the last year of my life and it was a really um, uh, satisfying uh, creative experience for for um, this year really allowed me to focus on one thing. Usually I work as a director for hire, so I go in and out on various TV shows. I'll, I'll go in for a month or a month and a half and then be done. And uh, this was a different kind of experience in the sense that I was with it from the very beginning and really dug in. And yeah, you did. Direct si you directed six of the episodes, six yeah, of the six, 10, right? Six of the 10, yeah. And I was a producer on the other four yeah. uh, as well. So. Um, uh, it was um, uh, really a labor of love in the, the best possible sense. And uh, it, it really, it was great because I have worked on several shows where I have been involved from the very beginning to uh, the very end. I worked as an editor on the pilot of the OC and that was the show that I started directing on. And I was with that show all four years. I edited and directed uh, during seasons two and three, and then I only directed in season four. But I was with it from the very, very beginning until I think I directed half the actors out in the finale, the series finale. And there's something about digging in on a show where you're really a part of it, you're really a part of the creation of it, you're really a part of the, um, the, the, 
the continuing thread of it that's much more satisfying to me than just kind of bouncing in and out as I've done on other shows. I was also very much involved on Pretty Little Liars. I worked on that show. Yeah. Uh, I did 23 episodes over the period of seven years. I was not there full time, but I had a, a real uh, heavy investment in the show and um, felt like I was part of the team. Same yeah. thing on another show called Gossip Girl. I was, I've been fortunate in the fact that there's a lot of people that like to work with me and bring me back um, um, over and over again, which is really the way I like it. You just develop a shorthand, you develop a, uh, a rhythm with people. Uh, there's other shows I've done one episode and I've been done with it, you know, so I don't, yeah. I don't feel as attached to those shows. Sure. But, um, uh, this one was special in the sense that not only was I directing, but I was producing and uh, the, um, uh, the two jobs have different skill sets. So I'm uh, um, really grateful that I got to, to <laughs> be involved in a, in a more meaningful way. You started as an editor, right? That's what I read. Yes, uh -huh. um, that's right. And mm -hmm. I even read that you you won an award for you know Chuck, the the yes, pilot uh -huh. of Chuck. Mm -hmm. I that's like I remember seeing that pilot. I thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. Oh, that's great! Out. Thank you. I mean that. I really I was in like a lot of America. I was like, what is this show? This <laughs> is like the greatest show ever. And that mm -hmm. um, you know. I just, I, yeah, I was just so in love with the show. It's so different, the story, but the editing, it felt like a movie. It felt like this uh -huh. intense, I was just great. Yeah. When I, I read that, I was that. just like, mm -hmm. yeah, when I read that, I was like, what? That's <laughs> awesome. I, I was just blown uh, away by that. Well, uh, Josh Schwartz, who was the creator of the OC, was also the co-creator of Chuck. And uh, so as the OC was wrapping up, even though I was already directing, he asked me if I would uh, cut the pilot of that show. I... I went back, I cut that pilot, and then I cut one other pilot during the same year, I think. That was the last time I edited. But yes, my career began as an editor. I went to uh, the University of Southern California, and I um, was a very middle-class kid, uh, and I was at a rich kid school, you know, so I, <laughs> I basically was uh, trying to uh, work three part-time jobs while I was going to school just to, you know, make enough spending money. And um, editing was something I fell into just because I could do that job while other people were uh, crewing up on films. It, it was a little easier for my schedule. So I kind of became a, um, uh, a specialist in, in editing in school. And then just after I got out of school, my sister is an actress. My sister, Betty Buckley, is a, is a pretty well-established actress. And she was in a film uh, that was shooting in Waxahachie, Texas, called Tender oh, wow. Mercies. Oh, yeah. And, uh, okay. and she um, happened to hear that the editor, who was Australian, uh, was looking for a local assistant. And I had just gotten out of film school and I'd gone back to Texas. Uh, and she said, well, my brother can do it. My brother knows editing. And, and so I really owe my career to my sister's uh, forthrightness with this, this uh, editor in the production office. And and so I uh, was able to work on that film. Uh, and uh, then I worked on two other films that were shot in Texas, uh, Silkwood and Places in the Heart. All three of them were, were shot in Texas and finished in New York. And so I um, uh, was able to uh, work as a local assistant in Texas and then go up to New York. I got into the union in New York and, and was able to work on them up there. So my first three uh, films in the business were 
were Oscar nominated films of, of some import. Uh, Tender Mercies won Best Original Screenplay and Best Actor in the year that it um, uh, was nominated. And then the following year, Places in the Heart won Best Actress, Best Actress and uh, Best Original Screenplay. And then Silkwood was nominated for several Oscars as well. So I thought my whole career was just going to be one Oscar nominated <laughs> film after another. You know, that didn't, didn't really work out that way. I kind That's of then <laughs> went a, a whole different road down through uh, um, uh, a lot of um, independent films. And, and then I started yeah. working in television around the year 2000. I started editing pilots for Warner Brothers. And I edited, uh, I think, five pilots for Warner Brothers that all went to series. And so my, my stock at Warner Brothers was pretty high in terms of what, I, what my skill set would bring to the process. And um, so they wanted me to do the pilot of the OC. And that was when I, I said, well, if I'm, gonna, if I'm gonna work this hard as an editor, then I want to, to start directing. And that's how that happened. So I was I had a very successful editing career. I think the editors are really the undersung heroes of so many of the projects, uh, both film and television. They don't get enough credit as far as I'm concerned, which is one of the reasons I moved into directing. It's just because I wanted more credit for my hard work. <laughs> but uh, uh, I was very fortunate. I, I, I really owe my directing career to um, uh, Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage. They were the ones that gave me the opportunity. And McGee, who was an executive producer on DOC. I, I uh, feel uh, really grateful to those guys for taking a chance on me because my directing career then took off at that point and has sort of been doing ever since. But the editing is a great background for directing. You really understand what you need and why you need it. And, and uh, I'm a very efficient director because I, I know how I'm constructing a scene and I don't shoot a lot of things that I don't need. So um, okay. it was yeah, a was great training. About that. Yeah. yeah. So like coverage, training. you mean, you don't, mm -hmm. you yeah. just don't want a bunch of stuff. You just want to. Well, I, I'm very clear about what I need. I certainly give myself uh, enough coverage so that I have options. I don't sure. want to, I don't want to be in a situation where I don't have a way to solve a problem. And so I'm always giving myself uh, enough coverage to, to um, expand or contract as I need to. But um, I know the way that I want to build the scene. I have a very clear visual style and a very clear visual sense of the story I'm telling. Uh, I always say that a well-directed television show or a well-directed movie is something, is one, if, if you can turn down the sound and watch the picture and still understand the emotional line of the story, not necessarily the plot, not necessarily sure. the, the expository information, but if you can understand the emotional line of the story, who's mad at whom, who's connected to whom, who's suspicious of whom. If you can, if you can um, uh, really understand that story, then it's well-directed in terms wow. of the way it's blocked, in terms of the way it's shot, in terms of the size of the image that you use for uh, telling the story. A lot of, a lot of uh, directors, I think, go too quickly into close-ups. They just get right into clavicle close-ups and then you have nowhere to go once you're there and everything has equal inflection. So in the shows that I do, I try to really use the frame to help tell the story as much as the, um, as much as the coverage. And so I'm very selective about where I go into major close-ups. I don't want to uh, uh, use up that, that particular um, opportunity to bring the audience in closer to a character at a particular emotional moment. And so that I think is what's different about my 
um, shows versus maybe some others. You'll notice on, um, for instance, um, uh, Sway Magnolias, there's a lot of wider shots. There's a lot of medium shots. Yeah. You rarely get into close shots unless it's really an important emotional beat. And that's a way of telling the story visually so that if you were to turn down the sound on Sway Magnolias, you would still really understand the story. You would still yeah. really understand what's going on. You really understand uh, people's positioning to one another, you know, what's happening, where they're divided, where they're connected. And um, uh, I, I really give a lot of thought to that because the director's job is to tell the story visually and uh, to support the actors in the, in the, in the execution of that. Uh, so um, that's kind of my, when people ask me, do you, do you have a style? I say, well, the only style I have is I try to tell stories best I can from a visual point of view. And I, I don't uh, get into close-ups uh, for, for things that I don't think are important. And, and the result of that is that I think in uh, um, a show like Sweet Magnolias, you really have a sense of the world. You really have a sense of the place. As you said, you have a sense of the restaurant. Yeah. You have a sense of the ball field. You have a sense of the homes that they live yeah. in. There, there's much more of a, of a um, um, uh, contextualizing of the environment that these people live in. And a lot of shows you see, people just get right into close-ups and that's yeah. it. And you, don't even, you don't even know what the geography is half the time. And That's so, I never so if I, if I were to, you know, talk about anything along the lines of style, it's, it's not style for style's sake, it's style to really um, make you feel something more. I always am looking for, well, what's going to make the audience feel something. Does that help the actors, you think, the way your style of it, like, you know, keeping well, I, those medium I, shots? I, I don't really talk to the actors about that. And I think that they shouldn't be thinking about that. All they should be doing is, um, is uh, existing in the space with the other actor, having as an authentic an experience as possible. And um, the, the advantage to my editorial background is that I'm not just covering everything over and over and over and over again, tiring them out. I think that most actors get very tired if they feel like they're doing the same scene over and over again without any right. clear indication of why. So for instance, if I don't need a close shot, I don't shoot it. I will keep things in more medium shots, of, uh, particularly if it's just expository information, if it's just information about, you know, why somebody has to go someplace or other, you know, but when yeah. people are talking about their feelings, then I'll get in closer and tighter. And I'll often tell actors, you know, don't, don't save your save your emotional performance for when I go in a little tighter because that's where I'm going to be. So that my editing background helps me in that regard. But ideally, I, I try not to bother the actors with what I'm doing technically. I don't okay. I don't want them to be thinking about that. I don't want the actor to be thinking about how they're being shot. Sure. And oftentimes, if actors ask me that, I'm happy to share that information with them. But I always remind them, you know, your job is not to worry about how I'm shooting this. Your job is to just be as completely as you can with the other actor in a, in a real space, feeling the, the, the uh, it's, it's hard, you know, actors have a very hard job. What they're doing is tough because they're, they're um, uh, basically um, um, performing and yet what we want of a really good actor is that we don't want them performing. <laughs> we want sure. them to be lacking self-consciousness. It's always hard when I get an actor who I can tell is feeling very self-conscious. If I feel the actor 
watching themselves, then I try to remind them to leave that to me. Let, trust me, trust yeah. me to, to watch you. And I will tell you if I feel like I need something different, but I don't want an actor to be thinking about that. I just want an actor to be listening to the other actor or existing in the scene as though none of us were around them and, and watching them, if that makes sense. Uh, it, it totally makes sense. It's very much like a kitchen works. Um, you know, you, you, wor you worry about your station. I got my station. It's all going to come together and work beautifully. But you can't run over here and do what I'm doing. And I can't run over there and do what you're doing. And, you know, you get that in dish at the end. Um, yeah. So, and yeah. I would never have thought of that comparison. But yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it just exactly how you were describing it is how a kitchen runs. It's just sort of you stay in your your compartment, you know, you exist in your space and do yours and it'll all work together if we all do it right. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, um, gosh, I had a question, too, and I t and I just forgot it, Norman. I was so interested <laughs> in what you were saying. Um, oh, it's all right. No, no. I was so into what you were um, you were just talking about. I can't remember. I don't know. Oh, it's going to come to me. It was about actors. Um, oh, I know what I was going to ask um, about background actors. So mm -hmm. I, um, I, well, I used to live in, um, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, just outside mm -hmm. of Philadelphia. And uh, I, you know, my cousin one, one summer came to me and said, hey, I got us into this M. Night Shyamalan movie as a background oh. actor if you want to do it you know we'll we're going oh, which, on which which movie was that it was uh lady in the water mm -hmm. uh fortunately it wasn't i loved the movie but you know well, we, we went on set so it was just outside he shot everything outside of uh, or in philadelphia area mm -hmm. so um anyway i remember being on set and we were there for like 10 days i think um and i remember them telling us okay you're you know it's a party you guys are in the back act like you're in the part but don't speak so i remember having to do these awkward things where i'm trying to talk but i'm not i can't actually right. say anything i thought how do people do this this is so hard like i yeah. whoo I, I mean is yeah. it difficult dealing with background or well, what they call them was background artists i remember a background yeah. actor telling me that we're <laughs> a director just because of of sag regulations a director is really not allowed to speak to background and give direction to background the and ADs they didn't that. yeah that's what it yeah. was it was somebody else the, yeah the exactly. ad's do that because uh, the minute that a director gives direction to anyone then that person can uh, upgrade themselves to a day player and there's a ah. significant amount of money. So it's a, it's kind of hard sometimes because um, I basically tell the ADs what I'm looking for. Like I'll tell the ADs, they'll, the, the ADs will set the background. They'll, they'll figure out something that makes sense for the frame and then they'll, they'll uh, set the background in such a way. And then I look at that and say, you know, let's not have that person make that cross there. Or let's have this person come over here and pretend they're talking or, uh, don't have them walking this way, have them walking counter, you know, things like that. I'll give those instructions to the AD. But a lot of, I've been on set a lot of times where background artists yeah. will, <laughs> will throw themselves in front of me and ask me, do you want me to go this way or that way? And I have to just <laughs> basically ignore them, which is always very hard because you don't sure. want to, you don't want to be, uh, um, uh, impolite to someone. Yeah. But the minute that I say I want you to go this way, then that person 
can file for an upgrade. It's foolish if they do so because I think that, you know, the chances are they won't be invited back to do the work again, but they can. And yeah. uh, so I have to be very, very careful. Actually, the rules are different in each city. I, the rules are different in New York than they are um, in Los Angeles. And I can never remember which is which, and I can never remember um, what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not supposed to do. So I just make it a policy <laughs> never to talk to yeah. background artists, which is, which is weird. I, 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 we had a, a group of actors you probably saw on the show. We had a group of actors um, uh, in the kitchen uh, uh, that we used over and over again. We always had the same group, always were working in the kitchen as our background artists. And I, I grew to be very fond of that group and I knew them all personally because they would come every day that we shot in the kitchen. And um, that was a little easier because, you know, you build a relationship outside of the actual direction, but I would, sure. I would have to refer them back to the AD when they would want to know, should I go here or there? I'd be like, well, talk, talk to the AD and he'll help you out. Um, and, and that was a great group too, because a lot of them had worked in restaurants and a lot of them had, had real experience and, and they were very helpful in terms of figuring out yeah, uh, some of that that background work. So they really were uh, artists, uh, background artists. You know. Yeah, I yeah. It, 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 yeah, I had a great time. I remember it rain. They did uh, these um, rain scenes, so they had these huge things up in the. They built. They basically built the whole apartment complex that's in that movie. Mm -hmm. So it's a whole set and they did these rain thing, right? Where these things spun around. I didn't know how they did rain in movies. So that was the first time for me to see that. Uh -huh. And the, they paid us more those days because we got wet. Sure. I, well, that was great. Yeah. I was yeah. like, well, this is what else you, you want to do to me? You could easily get sick, you know? So yeah, that's true. It, it was cold too. It was freezing. Yeah. Oof, that was, it, it was tough. Anything, anytime you ask a, a, a background artist to do something uh, above and beyond, you, you give them a pay bump. You know, yeah. if you ask if you ask them to dance, uh, if you there was a couple on Three Magnolias where, uh, uh, fortunately, it was a boyfriend and a girlfriend who were uh, at one of the teen parties. I had them kissing in the background, so we give them extra money for for for, any, for making out. That's great. For making out for you know, for, <laughs> ma for making out with their own girlfriend. Yeah, but I I, I um uh, I think that that's right. I mean, anytime you ask somebody to do something that's above and beyond just standing there, then, then, you know, you do owe them more money. It's, it it's was nice. Really one they of the areas very well. It's one of the areas that's really a big budget item in any budget on any television show or movie is, is background. Oh, because really? There's a, yeah, it's a lot of money. You know, you're paying a lot of money to a lot of different people. And so it really becomes a, um, a negotiation with the producers on any given um, <clears throat> on any given uh, episode about how many people we can have, and I've worked on some shows where I worked I worked on one show where they wanted me to shoot everything with wide angle lenses, which which allows you to see everything and everybody, and then they were also giving me a hard time about the number of background I had. They said just the party <laughs> just doesn't look full, and I said, well, if you let me shoot it on long lenses, that wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, but you want me to shoot it on wide angle lenses, and so it's hard. It's harder because I can see everybody, and you can you can actually count the number of people in the room, and uh, so it's a it's a negotiation on any given show, like how many background. There's always that discussion. The AD generally goes through and and makes a, a list of okay, in the restaurant we want you know 40 people, or you know, we 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 had a. Um, uh, 
we were very specific in all of the scenes in Spring Magnolias talking about, okay, is this early in the morning before the lunch crowd has started? Is this oh, the middle of the afternoon when it's the, the late lunch crowd before yeah. dinner? Is this before dinner? The waiters are just setting tables. And, and sometimes those decisions would be made on what, where we just needed to save some numbers, you know, sure. so let's just, <laughs> let's just pretend this is, this is before the day has started. Let's say that this one is the late lunch crowd. So there's only uh, five or six people at tables. Yeah. Uh, That's smart though. Scenes. That's just smart. Well, and then That's other scenes would be the, would be the blue, blue plate special crowd, you know, and, yeah. uh, and then, <laughs> then, uh, and then, this, and then there'd be Sunday brunch where the, death, yeah. the dining room would be full, you know. So we, we really tried to be very conscious and, and think about the restaurant, not just as a space where it was always full or always empty, but, but something that, you know, kind of fluctuated in terms of the numbers. And if you watch the show with, with an eye to that, you'll see that we did that. There are lots of places where, you know, it'd be a light crowd or a medium crowd. And all of those decisions were very specific. Yeah, I didn't realize. Um, I just didn't realize. I mean, I knew it's a big part of the movies, but I didn't realize the budget was so big. I didn't realize that that much thought went into it, but it actually. Well, does when you're trying make to cut the budget, when you're trying yeah. to cut the budget, that's one of the first places you look. Is you know, oh, do really? We really need? Yeah, do we yeah. really need two hundred people? Can we get away with a hundred people? Sure. If, oh, if I, I shoot in a longer lenses, could we even get away with fifty people? You know, there, there's there's uh, things you have to think about. You want it to feel real. As I yeah. said, you want uh, verisimilitude, but you don't want uh, to uh, waste your money on something that at the end of the day is not going to make a huge difference. And a lot sure. of that depends on what lenses you use and how you're going to shoot a scene. As I said, if you shoot a big wide shot on a wide angle lens, you see everybody. So if you're saying that you're at a big party and there's only 50 people there, it's not going to feel like a big party. You know, you need more people. You need 100. You need 150 maybe. Sure. depending on the size of the space. I used to shoot a lot of um, party scenes uh, on Gossip Girl, and that was always an issue, trying to figure out how big the party needed to be and what we could get away with. And there were days where I would have, the, the, some, there was one episode where the party went on um, for uh, a couple of acts of the show, a couple over the, the space of a couple of commercial breaks. So we would have to shoot that over a couple of different days. And so the first day, maybe I'd have, 125 and then the second day i'd have 70 or oh, wow. even less than that you know so that i could i could uh, fudge you know how many how many sure. people you were going to see at any one time and a lot of that is in the planning of it and a lot of directors quite frankly need to learn to do that better i've learned you know yeah. from a produce now that i'm on the producing side of things sure oftentimes directors <laughs> don't really think about the way that they're shooting it and such the in such a way to maximize that. So well, that makes that's, sense. That's well, one now you're wearing a lot of hats. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now you're wearing a lot of hats. I I actually did another uh, movie, an Indian movie. It was a Bollywood movie, uh, and they paid us in cash as extras. Mm -hmm. And that was in Philadelphia too. They transformed the Philadelphia train station into uh, the train station in New York City. Oh wow! Well. And it was that was a, a way different experience because I you know just compared both of them and one. I didn't know any of the people, you know, I, I didn't understand. It was a different language as well. Um, I, but I had a, had the best time on that set. I mean, we, yeah. just, mm -hmm. everybody was so amazing and, um, it was cold and snowing, but it had to be summer. 
So mm-hmm. we were we'd we'd put on shorts. I remember just doing like push-ups in between scenes, and I just thought this is nuts. Like I got I need a jacket, <laughs> and there would be all these people fans, at least five hundred to six hundred people outside trying to get in to see these big famous Indian actors. Yeah, sure. And yeah, pe- and people trying to buy thing. my my pass even. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, it was it was crazy. I'd never seen anything like it, but I had the best time. Yeah. Uh, you know, making those. And I just got to see behind the scenes of how a few things went. And, and it was just amazing. I remember one time they made me just walk in front of the camera, just past it, just so, but I'm so close to the camera, right? I, I'm not in it. Just, I didn't realize they were just using my body to uh, something to pass through or whatever. And then the actor mm-hmm. did his moment or whatever it was. And I remember looking at the actor thinking, what is happening? I didn't see him do anything. He just drops the bag and looks and but then when I saw the movie, you see his whole eye move and all that. Nothing I saw uh-huh. in the moment. Right, so right. It, it was crazy. It was just a crazy, you know, do you think about that stuff ahead of time? Like little things like that? Or well, I, I don't even I, know. I, I do. I mean, I, I do a very careful prep. I always think about the shots I want to do and what they should mean and how I'm going to cover it. And then I, I, I prep uh, so rigorously that by the time I walk onto the set, all of that is in my consciousness. And then I'm very much uh, um, uh, intuitively sussing out what's happening in the moment. So I will change those things that I've prepped based upon actually being in the space and actually having a oh, conversation wow. with the actors. Or, But, you know, it's, it's, it's like the idea of rehearsal. You rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse, and then you drop your rehearsal and you just are there in the moment doing the thing. So I try to uh, plan such that it's just a part of my my consciousness, the point of a scene, the point of a sequence, really understanding um, the story well enough so that if I do make changes, I'm making changes you know, with all of that information in my head. I try to be very flexible and fluid on the set because happy accidents will occur or you'll have some issue with the weather that you didn't expect. Oh, so God, you have to rethink yeah. things or, or uh, an actor doesn't necessarily want to do what you've imagined that they're going to do that, you know, so you have to, to oh, wow. negotiate that with them. And, <laughs> and yeah. um, um, you know, I never want to make anybody feel like they're in a box and that they sure. have to do it the way I've imagined it. Uh, I have imagined it with really good reasons, but I want to be flexible too. So uh, yes, you, you plan to an nth degree, but at the same time, you've got to stay open to the, the, the moment and what's happening in the moment. Yeah, that's, wow, that's amazing. And that's probably where the talent is, is finding that right balancing, you know, so that things are organized because there are a lot of people, right? And you got a lot of departments and everyone's trying to plan ahead and knowing what's, mm-hmm. what's happening. So yeah, I can imagine that making a change has a ripple effect and if it's not done the right way, it can have a disastrous effect. Probably. Yeah, and there are times when I just am infirm and say, well, we really need to do it this way because yeah. we're unraveling too much, you know. So I don't, uh, I don't always just kind of throw it up in the air and <laughs> let it lay wherever. But I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, try, I try to be flexible. I try to, you sure. know, uh, I've learned to be just very light on my feet in terms of saying, okay, well, let's do it different now. Let's, let's awesome. flip it. And as opposed to shooting it this direction, let's move it all over here or do something yeah. different. And I bet that comes you just basically what you were saying before that that confidence of having done all that prep work and rehearsal and whatever it gives you the confidence to let's see what happens. Let's let's play sure. with it a little mm-hmm. bit. 
Yeah, I read that about Matthew McConaughey, um, which he's going to come on the podcast too. Um, oh, and I can't, I can't, yeah, I can't wait to talk to him about that. But I read something about him too, basically his acting style that same way of, I want to prepare so much that when I step out there, I can make a change. I can move mm. around because I'm, yeah. I know everything. I, I know everything mm. back and forth about my character and what's going on. So I found that mm. fascinating. You, you, you prep so much to sort of be you know improvisational about it i found yes. that so fascinating yes. so you you prep so much that you feel relaxed yeah if something isn't going the way that you want it to uh i always have an a plan a b plan a c plan a d plan you know i i, I don't ever want to just come on the set with it's going to be exactly like this sure and 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 happy accidents will occur you have to be you have to be sensitive to uh, those things that reveal themselves. And if you are too rigorous about, I want it to be this way because this is the way I imagine it, then you're not allowing uh, new energy to come in and, and, and inform that. And, and um, uh, I had uh, one talk with a writer one time on an episode and she said, well, I imagined it like this. And I said, let me explain the way it happens. I said, you write the script, you give it to me. And I, in essence, give it to the actors. The actors, in essence, give it to the editors and the editors give it back to the producers again. It's a, it's a round robin. It goes around yeah. and in every step of the process, somebody's uh, ideas and somebody's creativity is coming into play. And that's a wonderful thing. That's something that's, uh, that's uh, 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 bringing new energy and life to it. And if you shut that down by saying, well, I want it to be this way that I imagined it, then I think it can feel lifeless. That's my experience. It's my sure. experience. If you, if you try to um, um, curtail the energy that is unfolding in the moment, then something, you can do it, but then it feels lifeless. It feels like people are not fully invested in what they're doing. So I try to be as open as possible to the, I mean, the, the director of photography may have a wonderful idea. The uh, actor may have a wonderful idea that I haven't thought of. Uh, any number of people might, uh, the writer might come up to me and say, well, what if we did this instead of that? Uh, if, you're, if you're stuck in your ego, if you're stuck in the idea that it has to be the way that I thought of it because I am the director, then you're, you're just locking yourself into something that is less than. Uh, I always say, I, I said in another podcast that I did, that I think it's very important to feel confident in what you bring to the set. I think it's important to have a, a strong ego, to have a have a real awareness of what you think, but a small ego. You want to humble yourself between, before the greater, the greater uh, collective consciousness that's happening in a collaboration on a film set. So while I, um, and you know, sometimes I'll storyboard and, you know, I'll, and I'll storyboard because if it's a really complicated sequence, I want everybody to understand what the, what the goal is and what we're trying to achieve. But even on those storyboards, I'll say we can deviate from these in certain ways if we need to. Um, it's, 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 a, it's about making everybody feel empowered to bring their very best to the process. And um, so I really believe in that idea that, that if your ego gets, uh, if, it, if it gets out of control and it becomes about me getting my way, then the result is going to be lesser. If, if you can come from a place of I feel confident in the preparation I've done and, and uh, what I'm bringing to the table here has, has been well thought out, but I'm also open to what's happening now, then, then it's, it's allowing some greater creative uh, energy to, to come into play that everybody is participating in. 
And uh, I think uh, I've said before that I think of um, I think of our human personalities almost as um, uh, uh, transmitters, radio receivers. You know, we're 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 basically existing in the same way that our iPhone does, uh, absorbing um, information that is in the cloud. So if you think of creative energy as something that's in the cloud that you at any given moment might have a clear channel to, and the, but the other people might too, then, then the best result is going to be achieved. Uh, I'm, I'm, I feel confident enough in my abilities and I feel confident enough in the way that I've prepared that I'm perfectly willing to entertain somebody else's idea that might be better than mine in the moment. And I, I need to be really open to that. So yeah. that's the way I, I direct. <laughs> that's powerful, Norman. That's really powerful. Um, honestly, a lot of leaders should be that way. Um, you know, really, that it, it almost takes a good leader to see that that's not all the ideas are going to come from you, but to even notice that that's a good idea, that it came from somebody else, you know. Well, it's been so. my experience that if people feel empowered, if your department heads feel empowered, they think of you as a better leader. If they feel like yeah. they're being told what to do or condescended to, then then people are rolling their eyes behind your back, totally. you know, and uh, I, that's not to say that there haven't been times when I've gotten insecure and, and uh, really felt like I was losing control of it and uh, have acted out of my ego. I certainly have at any um, given time, but as I've uh, done more and more work on myself and my personal life, and also as I've become more and more confident in my, in my professional abilities, I, I do that less and less. There's almost a mystical aspect of uh, the work now that, that, that fascinates me. Um, Cheryl Anderson, the uh, showrunner on Sweet Magnolias, and I were talking about the fact there were so many things that happened as we went through the season that revealed themselves. It was, it was truly one of these situations where um, something would, would just show us what was supposed to happen as opposed to the ideas that we'd been talking about for uh, weeks before that. Some, something else would enter into the equation that we would have to include. And unfortunately, both of us were really coming from that place where we were willing to do that. And, and therefore, it was a really uh, satisfying collaboration for, for us and with the people that we were working with. You know, sometimes, uh, the, the strangest things will surprise you, you know, that, that you had never anticipated. And if, you, if you're stuck too closely to the idea you had in your head before you walked onto the set, then, then you won't be receptive to that. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it shows in your work, you know, it shows. Oh, that's nice. uh, Thanks. Yeah, it really does. Um, you know, obviously, you know, just work. I think it also is too, is who you surround yourself with, right? You, you know, as a good leader and a good director and a producer, I need to surround myself with good people. So when they are throwing ideas, I trust all of this. I trust the, the, the circle of trust, if you will, that's mm -hmm. around me and to go with that. That's how kitchens build teams. It's basically, mm -hmm. you know, as a chef, that's how I've always built teams. So I will listen to anybody. I don't care who has the idea. The, my, my, whole, the, my mantra is best idea moves forward. That's right. it. So wherever it comes from, let's, let's go with it. If this dish needs mm -hmm. less salt, forget the shaved carrots, they're not working, or this isn't work, or this, you know, we can't hold this right well enough, it's not fresh enough throughout the night. So what, what you know, sometimes people just know more because they're involved with the situation, right? Your lighting guy comes over with the lighting thing, he's, that's all he's doing. So yeah, right. maybe it is time to just at least hear him out. Uh, you, you don't have to necessarily do it, but I think it's always good in a leadership position to hear somebody out. 
uh, because you just never know what you're going to hear. Um, right. At least that, that has been my experience in the kitchen. So I'm really happy to hear you say that um, because I think making film and television like you do, it is about capturing those sort of magic moments and getting that on screen for us as viewers and yourself. You're a viewer, too. You're a fan. You watch stuff. You, you, you want those are the moments you remember the most. You know, those are the mm. things that stick out. And, yeah, I think that's real special. Well, what you're, you're, you're describing the creative process, so whether it's yeah. in the kitchen or whether it's on a set, <laughs> is, is, is the, uh, it's the same. And, uh, or whether you're an artist or whether you're a, uh, even a writer, you know, even a write, people say, well, you know, writing a book is really an individual experience, but it's really not. You go through an editing process and you have other people who come in and weigh in on things. It's about being open to the idea that the, the creative muse occurs to to all of us and that we all need to kind of open ourselves up to, to be receptive to what that is because it, yeah. it changes, it evolves. It's, it's not something that's, you know, once and forever more like this, you know, there's yeah. always something that changes and we have to be, we have to be open to that if, if we want to uh, have a um, fluid experience with life. Otherwise yeah. we lock, get locked in. Then there's that Buddhist saying that, you know, um, pain is the resistance to change. So, you know, oh, it's wow. kind of like if you, if you dig in, then you're going you're gonna to feel pain. So. That's a good way to put it. Um, mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that saying. I like that. Um, so I'm curious, um, Norman, I know, you know, probably got a lot to do. Um, I'll, I'll just, you know, as we sort of trail out here to the end of the podcast episode, I'm curious if you want to tell our listeners, I mean, I know it's tough with the pandemic and everything going on, but do you have any other projects that are coming out or anything besides Sweet Magnolias that we should be checking out? Well, right now, I'm just waiting for to hear about our second season. Yeah. I think that the business uh, at large is pretty much on hold. So, no, there's nothing yeah. else right now. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I was lucky this, during this pandemic that I, I taught a class at UCLA uh, to a directing class by Zoom. Uh, uh, to to some um, UCLA uh, MFA students, and um, so that was very gratifying because I'm at a point in my life where you know I definitely want to pass on the things that I know. Um, certainly, there's a lot of things circling the runway if the business goes back to some type of of um, normal working situation, but uh, it's really anybody's guess exactly how and when that's going to happen. I know that there are some um, some uh, um, DGA guidelines that were sent around yesterday about what it's going to look like when we go back and how people are going to be safe. But, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just uh, hopeful that anybody who hasn't seen Sweet Magnolias will watch that. And, uh, you know, it's it's the kind of show that I even think bears re-watching. And uh, so I'm hopeful that your uh, listeners will check it out. Absolutely. Yes, they absolutely will. And some of your back work. This is the perfect time. I know lots of people that are uh, catching up on all kinds of, you know, older shows. I know. Yeah, I well, uh, pretty, pretty little liars. And I mean, the shows that have uh, certainly meant the most to me in terms of my uh, um, career, you know, were the OC, Gossip Girl, Pretty Little Liars, uh, Rizzoli and Isles and uh, The Fosters. Those are the shows that I did uh, uh, multiple episodes on also switched at birth there's there's several shows i mean somebody can if anybody's interested they can always go and check out my <laughs> resume but but i've been very lucky to work on shows that um 
that have uh, captured a bit of the zeitgeist, uh, certainly the OC in its time and oh, yeah. Gossip Girl in its time and Pretty Little yes. Liars in its time were, were phenomenons. Each one yes. of those shows phenomenons. was a phenomenon. Yes. And I, I do feel very fortunate that that's been my, um, that's been my path. I, it's kept me young by virtue of the fact that a lot of them are in this teen genre. And uh, it's kept me uh, really uh, very aware of uh, the, the generation that's coming up behind us that I have great hope in and hope that you know, they will make the world a better place than my generation is. And uh, all of those shows hold a special place in my heart. Uh, I, I'm very lucky that I've been able to build uh, very deep relationships with uh, a lot of the people that I've worked with, a lot of the casts that I've yeah. worked with. I'm still in touch with uh, people from all of my shows. Uh, a lot of these um, various people that I worked with, um, fortunately the business is such that you tend to work with the same crew members over and over just by virtue of, you know, it's a freelance occupation, but people cycle in and out of your life that you've worked with before. And that's a, that's a very nice thing. Um, but yeah, any of those shows that, uh, all of them are streaming somewhere these days. Oh, and, yeah. uh, that's, that's kind of a great thing that, to realize that the work I've done is going to be seen in perpetuity. And, and um, um, yeah. So, was that the first show you did for a streaming service? Was, was this Sweet was the first uh, Streaming Noise is the first show that I did that was produced directly for a streaming service, yes. Uh, most of the other shows I've done have been for uh, some broadcast network. Uh, what was it? A different, how do you feel about that? Like, well, it's different you, in the sense that all you ten released were, all ten episodes. Yeah, right? all ten yeah. are released at once, and so there is yeah. a difference in terms of how you're talking about the show and how you are interacting with people about the show. You don't but have I to film like for it. commercial breaks, right? Like any of that. No. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I quite like it, and I quite like the the fact that it's out there, and so people can really talk about the show as a whole and you know, it's almost like a book. It's like the book is out there then people read it or not and, and then you can talk about it. Uh, whereas on some of the other shows I work on uh, that were released week by week, maybe my episode was done months before it comes out. Oh, and so by the time it comes out, there's a, there's a lag time um, um, from the time I worked on it. So it already feels a distant part of my past sure. <laughs> by the time it comes out. Uh, there's been something really exciting about the immediacy of this, uh, the immediacy of having the show uh, premiere and, and be on the air and, and having people watch it and being able to talk to people right away about it. The other thing I really love about the show that I think is worth mentioning in this particular period of time is that um, it's, a, it's a show that really holds up a community as an ideal of the way a community could be. You know, where there's a, there's a mix of races on the show. There's yeah. a, there was a real intent on the part of our showrunner Cheryl Anderson to uh, to uh, she she said frequently throughout the making of the show that she wanted the town of Serenity to be a town where everyone could see themselves. And I really appreciated that as a as a place to work from that that the the community is inclusive. It includes everyone, and everyone is given dignity, and everyone is treated with dignity. And uh, I, I think that's a very important thing in these times. I feel that uh, more than ever before, we have a real responsibility to our uh, fellow man to speak up and to stand strong with those that, that are less fortunate and, and uh, for, or for those who have been discriminated against in any way. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm a, um, uh, a gay man and I uh, was just 
you know, delighted, but also kind of stunned to realize that it was even an issue today as the Supreme Court came, came down and said that, yeah. that um, uh, gays couldn't be discriminated against in employment. The fact that this is even still an issue here in 2020 is just kind of mind boggling to me, I, but I it, it's, it's, uh, it is the case. And so I'm, I'm very grateful to work on a show that really celebrates the idea of inclusion and really celebrates the idea of, um, of um, community across racial lines, across sexual lines, you know, even, even, you know, one of the things that I think is so lovely about the show is that there's, there's the, the pregnant mistress, even that character is afforded full dignity, you know, she's not treated like a villain, she's not treated like um, um, a, a vixen, she's, she's treated like a fully fleshed out human being who yeah. made a mistake. Um, and, and and is trying to figure out the best way to move forward with that. And that, those aspects of the show really speak to, you know, my worldview uh, really is the way that I would like to see us move forward as a society. And I feel like we're at a point in, in, in um, we're at a crossroads. We're at a crossroads where we're either going to be a, a kinder, more just world or we're not. And, and uh, I just am happy to have uh, had the opportunity to work on something that really celebrates those values. Someone asked me recently what I would want the social media conversation to be around the show. And that's what I said. I said, I want it to be about values. I want it to be about values of, uh, of uh, supporting our friends and family and community and, and, and lifting each other up and, and helping each other uh, uh, get up again after we've fallen down. And uh, I, I do think that that's what the show is about. And so that, that makes me really happy to have been a part. Yeah. And right now, um, we need that more than ever. Boy, for country. sure. Yeah, for sure. And I think we're going to see uh, a lot more um, tumult before we get to that bright and shining place. I, I feel like this virus is, is really uh, uh, nature's way of saying, hey, you've got to You've got to take stock of the way you've been living. You know the the the, the global uh, uh, climate crisis is something that I don't think has gone away. The virus hasn't gone away. Racial injustice hasn't gone away. You know, it's one of the things I think back about my time in Texas. As much as I love Texas, I also remember growing up uh, in Fort Worth around a lot of very casual racism. And uh, it's definitely one of the yes. things that I'm very uh, glad to have moved away from and developed sure. a different perspective about. But it's really uh, puzzling to me that, again, in this day and age, 2020, that there is still uh, a great number of people who, who have the attitude of like, well, what's the problem? I don't get it. What's the problem? And I, I just think, open your eyes. Really look at the society you live in and really uh, uh, consider your own privilege. And uh, it's, um, um, it's a difficult conversation, but I'm really glad that we're having it. I'm glad that it's a conversation that's out there on the table and that people, people can choose uh, to uh, ignore it, uh, uh, but, they're, but they're gonna have to um, uh, really work hard to do that because it's a conversation that's on the table. We have to have it, we have to talk about it. And so again, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that Sweet Magnolias was a show that, that kind of uh, represents the very best of our, of ourselves in that respect. So. Yeah, absolutely. That's well, well put Norman. That's like, I, I feel like that's just a perfect place to, 
to end there, to be honest with you. I don't right. want to taint, taint anything uh, after that, to be honest. I'll <laughs> say something stupid and ruin it all. So um, <laughs> that's the truth. Uh, so, yeah, Norman, wow, this has been such the time has flown by, honestly. Um, it's been oh, such well, an amazing really conversation. It. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah, it's fun to, to uh, talk to new people, and I'm grateful that you guys asked me to be on it. Um, ask me back again sometime if you like. So, Absolutely, of course. This was, you know, phenomenal. I'll, I'll, think of some more, I'll think of some more restaurants I like. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, not to put, yeah, I kind of put you on the spot, so that's my fault. Uh, you know, you didn't have a chance to make a, a list or anything. If somebody asked me right now, I'd be fumbling where do I go in Austin? I'm in Austin right now. So I'll be like, I, I, I don't even know. I water burger. And then I'd be like, what? That's well, a- speaking of uh, Mexican food, there's that great place on South Congress there. What is that place called? The, um, the famous Mexican Veracruz, maybe. Oh, Mexican restaurant. Chewy. Yeah. Chewy's. I, I don't know. I just know that there was a really there's great. T- there's a uh, El Rancho. Oh, wait, no, that's on Lamar. Um, yeah, there's a lot. Honestly, Veracruz's might be it. I, I live off South Congress, actually. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Tons of you know that there's so many good Mexican food places here. It's uh, it's ridiculous. And look, yeah. I make good Mexican food at home, so luckily I don't need to go anywhere. <laughs> <You're> uh, <right. Yeah. laughs> and my uh, wife's Spanish; she's from Spain, so oh wow, we get, we get all kinds oh. of great food here at the house. Where in Spain? She's from uh, Cáceres. Uh, it's oh. a small town in Extremadura, which uh-huh. is um, a little bit west of Madrid. Mm-hmm. Near, near the Portuguese border. Well, I love Madrid. I, uh, I, I would. There have been times where I really thought about retiring to Spain because I just think it's such so a wonderful country. Right? Yes, yes, it really is. Yes. Madrid's one of my favorite cities. It's an amazing city. That, well, I lived yeah. in. Uh, we we lived in Granada for a long time, uh, uh-huh. which is in the south in Andalusia. That that was my favorite city uh, to live in in Spain. Mm-hmm. Was was that one? I just that you got the beach, the mountains. Uh, the flamenco, the tapas, and the real tapas, because in, in Andalusia, the tapas are free when you go mm-hmm. to the bar. So I just loved it. I just, I gosh, I did love Spain so, so. Yeah. so I mean, obviously, I married a Spaniard. I lived over there for years. I didn't yeah. want to come back. We yeah. didn't want to come back, but the job market in Spain, uh, when we moved, we moved back in 2012, so we've been back mm-hmm. eight years now. Uh, but the job market was just horrible um, and still horrible. And now with this pandemic, it's even uh, atrocious. My wife's going to Spain in September, September 1st, actually, she has a flight. She's going to go there for like four months uh, to just help take care of her family. um, Mm -hmm. You know, that sort of thing. Go back. That's got to be hard just being away, you know, on the other side of the world, um, thinking about your family and how they're doing and everything. So anyway, yeah. yeah. So glad to hear that you, uh, or a fan of Spain that that makes yeah I, I really I've spent uh, a lot of time in Madrid uh, I've also spent some time in Barcelona I actually prefer yeah. Madrid to Barcelona uh, I know that a lot Me of too. people feel differently but Madrid just speaks to my soul more than Me too than Barcelona did uh, I I just uh, would love to go back there sometime and travel around I I haven't done a lot of traveling around in the countryside there but that's been a goal. It's just anybody's guess the way the the world's going to unfold over the next few years. And, right. It's going to uh, be crazy. I, yeah. I think about uh, also, I think I might have even said, I think about moving back to Texas sometimes, but uh, I don't know. You know, there's so many places in the world that I haven't even been yet. 
So I don't know that I want to go and reverse. <laughs> well, but. I love that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, look, if you ever do come to Austin, um, you know, look, you, you got my information. Great. Feel free to Terrific. reach out. Uh, I'd love to show you around yeah. to some cool places to eat. Um, yeah, I saw that I... we connected. I saw that we connected on Instagram. So yes, you know, absolutely. And then, yeah. Yep. Saw and, that uh, you're already was... cooking outside. <laughs> I saw some spreads. Yeah. Yeah, about it. I, uh, uh, I'll just throw that out there too for anybody who's listening. Uh, I'm on Twitter and on Instagram at Norbuck, N O R B U C K. Yes. Uh, that's the way a lot of people can find out about what I'm up to. Yes, so. absolutely. Great, great, great. Yeah, definitely um, on your Instagram is a great account to, uh, to follow. The, the Frederick Douglass thing, not, not to, I, I know we're leaving, but the Frederick Douglass thing you put up, I actually threw that in my stories too. That was a very powerful oh, great. Good. Uh, message. It was just yeah. such a powerful message. And I had forgotten that. I had read that before, but gosh, what a powerful message that was. So thank you. Yeah. It, you know, he's, he's a He's a, he's a, a, a person that, that really, he speaks as, uh, as uh, his, what he says is as timely today as it was totally. 150 years ago. And it's just, yep. it's kind of like, wow, you know, we have got to get it together. Yeah. We just, we move so slowly forward, but we have to move forward. And, and uh, yeah, he's, he's a hero of mine. So definitely. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. Right. Well, again, Norman, thank you so much. I'll let you thank get back you. to your day and yeah. uh, enjoy the beautiful weather and uh, be safe yeah. out there. Take care. All right. I really hope you enjoyed that podcast as much as I did. If you have any questions for me, please feel free to email the podcast at patrick at texasrealfood.com. And don't forget, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you know, all the different places you can get podcasts. You'll, you'll find us on there. Or you can just go to our website, go to the Lone Star Plate. Com. And you can check us out on YouTube if you want to watch it. You know, we video these, now, you know, on a little webcam here and go to the Texas Real Food YouTube channel and you can find it there. Make sure to follow uh, Texas Real Food as well on Instagram and Facebook. Subscribe. Um, and if you, you know, are so inclined, please leave us a review anywhere you can. You know, follow us on Spotify or leave a review on Apple Podcast. Uh, that would really help us out. Thanks again for listening. Really do appreciate it. Um, without you guys, we you know, what's the point of doing this? So if you have any suggestions on how we can make the show better, please let us know. Thanks again. Be safe out there. Wash your hands.